you would turn in your Forms and Prayers book to page 201 as we begin our study through the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 201, we'll look at Lord's Day 1, and our scripture text this evening will be Isaiah chapter 40. If you could turn to Isaiah 40, that's found on page 762 in your pew Bibles. begin reading first with the Lord's Day. We'll read Lord's Day, question and answers one and two. Our focus this evening will be on question and answer one, and we'll cover question and answer two in the following Lord's Days. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And we will read question answer two though we will not be covering it this evening. Question answer two, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Our text this evening is Isaiah 40. Before reading that, let's ask for God's blessing. I forgot to pray before the reading of the Heidelberg. We'll pray now in asking God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open it up to us and that we would see the depth of your love and your care for your people. And we pray as we've even read in the Catechism, that we would so be comforted and be comforted in Christ and Him alone. We pray, Lord, as those who come with broken hearts so often, those who need to be healed, those who need you, we ask for that comfort and that praise of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. For reading Isaiah 40, just a couple comments, a few words. This Lord's Day and the message of God's comfort weigh heavy on me. What do I mean by that? I mean, the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ is always one that bears many burdens and many trials, many griefs. And when you come to Lord's Day 1, you are excited. You're excited because it's a tremendous Lord's Day. It's a tremendous Lord's Day that provides our comfort and our hope and and, and I, I'll say it this way, as a, as a pastor boy, you want to knock this one out of the park. And I don't mean that in a proud way, I mean that in the sense you want to bring comfort. And the reason this weighs heavy is there is so much that we all bear, there is so much that you all bear and need in your comfort. As I look out among everyone, just imagine all the trials that are represented here. There are those who bear the loss of their own children. There are those who bear the loss of loved ones. There are those who face the pain of autoimmune disease. There are those who face chronic pain and health problems. 
There are those who grow old and scared and grow tired and weak. There are those with personal health concerns. There are those who bear with pain of their jobs and increasing difficulties as they get up at each morning to continue on. There are those who face pain and trials as students who move far away. There are those who have work burdens, and, and the list is endless. And, and as a pastor, you want to come in and you want to comfort them. You want to take it all away. You want to say the right thing. You want to say the right words to help. And what you see so often is that you don't have them. In fact, you never do. The words that you want to say seem so light and insignificant. And the pain that everyone bears is such a pain that you just feel like you can't even touch the, the wayward children. Death, all of these things. And what dawns on me as I think of this, as you think, boy, I really want to comfort the people, is that that's not the right question nor the right answer. And it isn't on myself, it isn't on any of us to be able to do that. We can't. And so we have to turn our attention to He who does, to He who is truly the only comfort. And as everyone sits here, there is so much representation of those who at the time may not feel that burden to all the way to those whose faith seems like a flickering candle and seems like it's ready to blow out for whatever they're facing in their grief or their loss, their pain. And I want us to read Isaiah 40, and what I want us to see is the words of God. The words of God in His care and his comfort for his people. And this is it, brothers and sisters. This is the only place we can turn for our true and only comfort. It's in God himself. What other words can we offer? There are none. They all fail. It is God's word itself. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1, as God speaks to his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, When he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thus the reading of God's word. I want to draw attention again to those first verses. And quickly, briefly, if you could keep your Bibles out, explain the structure of this passage that we could understand. We go through it, what's going on here. You have it begin, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem in the first five verses. The first real eight verses is the comfort that the Lord extends to his people, even in the midst of their own frailty and in the midst of what they're facing. Verses 9 through 26 present the greatness of God. And it's presenting the greatness of God to a people who need deliverance. And so it makes sense. It makes sense for us who need comfort, who wish to be comforted, to go on a long description of the power of the Lord. 
and what he is able to do and what he does. And then in verses 27 through 31, you see again, the Lord questioned the people and asked them why they questioned him. Verse 27 begins that section. And so you see you have this initial offering of comfort, this description of the Lord's might, and then this response to the questions of the people, even in their doubt. As we look at this text, as we look at this Lord's Day, we have a very, very simple theme, a very, very simple point. Be comforted in Christ. Be comforted in Christ. The simplicity there is intentional. The simplicity there is why overcomplicate things. You see, this theme and this point is not meant to be told that we simply need to have new understanding as if we don't know, but rather the simplicity of this message, the simplicity of Isaiah 40, even the profound simplicity of Lord's Day 1 is that we need comfort. We need Christ. And we need him to be our only comfort. That's the whole point. There is a difference in how we can use this Lord's Day. There's a difference between simply knowing it. There's there's a difference between how you can use Isaiah 40. There's a difference to be able to rattle off a memorization that, that the Lord is our comfort. And there's a difference between those who say it. It becomes far much more impactful when you say it in a hospital, hospital room next to the bed of a dying family member. Or at an open graveside ready to lower a casket into the earth. The difference is, is that in these places there's only one thing to cling. There's only one place to go. And it is that hope and it's that profession of faith in the Lord, in his power, in his care that we believe that for his people that grave will be ripped open and a new body, a resurrected body, will come out. That the one who's dying on in a hospital bed, that's not the end of the story. That those who continue with their health issues and their pain or their family drama and trials, the waywardness of their children, the loss of, of whatever it is, it's that this, at the end of the day, is all that matters. This, at the end of the day, will be all that will get you to the Lord, that will have you cling to him and so be comforted. And there is rest. And I say that I know to those who mourn so much, there is comfort and there is rest. And we experienced a portion of it on this earth. We experience a portion of it at times when we do have peace and we do have rest. But it's, it's so minimal, minimal as not to be compared with the eternal rest and comfort that is coming. That is coming in Christ. This life is hard and we need that comfort. We need it in the, the grief and mourning. We need it in the sinful battle. In the battle, I should say, of sin and temptation where we backslide and fall and you feel guilt and utterly weak and you think of the ways in which you have hurt those you've loved, perhaps years ago, perhaps now. And you battle with this sin and you need comfort because of your sin. And it's not just those who need comfort in loss, it's needs those who need comfort in anything. And so you hear the voice of our Lord God say in Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people. Care and concern. Speak tenderly to her. This fact is 
made all that much more clear and all that much more grand in light of the context of Isaiah. You see, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are largely negative, not exclusively, but largely negative. Largely, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are telling and foretelling the coming exile and destruction of the nation, of all that will happen to them at the hands of of Babylon, at the hands of those who come in, who take them away, who will rape and murder their way through the people, who will pull them from the land. That is so much what happens in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And then in the beginning of Isaiah 39, there's an account with Hezekiah, who is, by all accounts, a good king. And yet Hezekiah offers to the the messengers of Babylon to come in and he shows them all his wealth. He opens up the storehouses. He shows off all these things, whether it was from insecurity or from just a desire to boast. This is what he does. And so he adds again to the the need and the reason for exile, though he is, uh, by, again, by all accounts, a good king. But what happens in verses, in chapter 39, 6 and following This is what we see Isaiah declare to Hezekiah. He says, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Notice, Hezekiah is revealed, it's revealed to Hezekiah, it's shown to him that this is going to happen and the people are going to be exiled. And his response is to say, this is good, because it won't happen in my days. That's what the king of Israel says, of what's going to happen to his people, even to his own sons. And the juxtaposition or that position of that story right next to Isaiah 40 makes it that much more clear where you have a king in Israel who says, all is well if it's not in my days. And then you come to Isaiah 40 and what does the Lord want for his people? Comfort them. Comfort, comfort my people. And it signals a shift in the entire book of Isaiah Chapters 40 through 66 then largely turn to redemption and largely turn to them being brought out of their exile. And it surpasses everything that you see there. It goes to even what we could call end times blessing of all that will take place. And what signals it is the desire for the Lord to speak tenderly to his people, to comfort them. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. What better news to those who are at war, those who were lost and taken away. Your warfare is ended. That her iniquity, which brought her into exile, her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, or in other words, it's fully paid for. It's been paid in full. It's been doubly paid. There's, there's nothing left to pay. Comfort my people with these words. This is the, the comfort that the Lord gives, and it is none other than the comfort that we have in Christ. How do we make that leap? Is that a leap to say? Well, the comfort that is being brought to the people is that they will be brought back to the Lord. 
that they will be brought back from exile into the land of promise, that they will rebuild the temple, that they will have access to him again. Comfort them, for their iniquities will be pardoned. Well, we know that this is all what Christ does in its fullness. It's not a stretch, then, for us to say that Isaiah's message and the message of Isaiah 40 is to be comforted in Christ. What the Lord will do and the love that the Lord will show to bring his people back. There was an immediate fulfillment even to those people when Cyrus decreed their return. It was was unlooked for in that sense. Even though God had foretold it, he prophetically declared this is what would happen. And there was that immediate fulfillment, but it was lacking the full fulfillment that's in Christ. Where God speaks tenderly to his people through his own Son. We can doubt it. We can say, how can this be? And verse 8 gives the conviction that God's word will stand forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that's assured through the greatness of our God in verses 9 through 26. But now I want to turn and read again verses 27 to 31. Deal with the question that the people of God ask. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob... And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. It is not difficult to take that question and put it into our own mouths to the trials that we bear. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that that your way is hidden from the Lord? You see, the reason that seems so silly is because of the other 26 verses that preceded it that show there is none who knows what the Lord knows. There is none who gives him understanding. There is none who can compare to his might and knowledge. So why then would you say your way is hidden from the Lord? And when you put yourselves in their position, it didn't seem good. They were in another land. They, everything was, everything had, had gone haywire. Everything had, had been broken. They're, they're not even in the land. They're gone. They're slaves. They're eunuchs in a palace court. Yes, they thought their way was hidden from the Lord. As we do. It's got to be hidden. It's, it, there, there's, there's no way the Lord knows what he's doing or knows the right way here. We might echo, and my right is disregarded by God. God disregards this, and it continues. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. We sure do. But he does not. It says his understanding is unsearchable. Now, we hear that, and we think this is, this is his, his all-knowing. He's all-knowing, and that's true, it is. But this is not just a knowledge of a head knowledge that he possesses a knowledge of all things. We need to take that truth and come down with it in response to their very question, in response to our question, my way must be hidden from the Lord. My right must be disregarded. But what we see here is his understanding is unsearchable. In other words, he understands all. He understands very well what he's And then verse 29, this is beautiful. Beautiful to those who need comfort. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But how many of us here say that just seems like a, like a, a, a non-reality, like that's not going to happen, it's impossible. Because we feel so weak. Because our faith, again, seems to be flickering and not shining. This is where we turn for comfort. This is where we turn for trust. Our Lord, who has all the power, who has all the understanding, and all the love for his people, says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You will not be weak forever. Your status of weakness now, your status of pain now, even the status of your own sin, the grief that you have for it now does not stand forever. The Lord will renew your strength. We will be those to mount up with wings like eagles, that bird that's depicted in the Bible as that strong bird, that powerful bird of prey that none can match. This is what we will be like to mount up with these wings They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the comfort of Christ. This is truth of Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death? But we're not our own, but belong body and soul and life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's comfort, and that's our comfort To ask what is your only comfort in life and death is to ask where do you find your security and your certainty and your support for life. There are many things in life that can be comfortable. There are many things in life that we might think aid our comfort, but there is only one person who is our comfort. Kevin DeYoung, in his commentary on 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 the Heidelberg Catechism, says this, Don't miss the underlying assumption in these first two questions. We are meant to live and die in the joy of this comfort that so few Christians do as a testimony to both how hard life can be and how little we meditate on what it means to belong to Christ. Comfort does not mean Christ makes all the bad things in life go away. Comfort, as Rosinus put it, results from a certain process of reasoning in which we oppose something good to something evil, that by a proper consideration of this good, we may mitigate our grief and patiently endure the evil. In other words, comfort puts before us a greater joy to outweigh present and anticipated sufferings. What's he saying? What's Rosinus saying? The comfort of the Lord isn't that it's removed. That's what we want. That's not a fault to want that. It's not wrong to want that removed. That's just the result of the curse. It's not right and it shouldn't be there. But that's not the Lord's will on this earth. The Lord's will is for him to give us comfort even though we must endure. It's a comfort in Christ that outweigh the present and anticipated sufferings. Isaiah, remember, was written before the exile. You see, this is what the people would endure. And for the Lord to speak prophetically in Isaiah 40 of the comfort that he would give does not take away the fact that they did endure the exile. But you see God's working in it. You see what his purpose and plans were. Comfort my people with the message that exile gives way to tender care. 
That God doesn't forget his people, but pursues them always because he is faithful and steadfastly loving. And even death or symbolic death in exile isn't enough to take you away. And no matter what you face now, it isn't enough to take away your faith in Christ. He preserves us. Don't be afraid to grieve the bad things in life, but don't neglect simultaneously reach out and grasp the comfort that can only be found in Christ and a comfort that you know won't take away the burden, but will outweigh it. What that means is that that burden isn't just going to go away, and nor should it. If the burden were to be taken away right now and right then and there, we wouldn't seek Christ, and we wouldn't seek his comfort. And we wouldn't see our need for him like we do when we still endure, though it's outweighed. The truth of this comfort is that it must be a personal comfort. That's what the Heidelberg says. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. It has to be your faith. It can't be another's faith. It can't be the faith of your parents. It can't be the faith of your spouse. It can't be just that you attend or are a member. This is your comfort, which means this is where you turn to Christ. It's a personal comfort. It's also an exclusive comfort. It's only Christ. We can't turn anywhere else. And if we seek to turn anywhere else, we've just found an idol that needs to be mortified and put to death. God comforts us. The Trinity comforts us. The one person, the, the, the three persons in one union of the Godhead comfort us. We see that it's the will of the Father in heaven to comfort us through the Son. And we see it's by His Holy Spirit and the work of God that we are given the blessings of eternal life. It is our whole Lord and Savior. It is our God comforts us. How would we understand this? Suppose, I want to illustrate what this means. Suppose you are going to go on a very dangerous journey. You're going to go where there is much danger, where there is the, 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 the weather, everything about this journey is hard. There's thieves and robbers on the way. The way is difficult and hard. And you're a complete novice and you've never done this before. But you need to go. You need to go on this journey that you don't feel equipped to handle. So you head into a map maker's shop to buy a map for this journey. And you talk to this man and you see he's the one that made the map. He was the one who walked all the ways and saw every hill and plotted out every cave. He's the one who sees every stream, who knows every danger, and he's done it enough times that he knows it like the back of his hand. And as you talk to this man about this journey, he then says, you know what? I'm going to go with you. What a relief. What a comfort. The journey's ahead still. The dangers are there. The trial is there, the pain is there, but you're not alone. The map maker is with you. The one who's done it, who's traveled it, who knows it. The one to guide and be there, he's coming with you. That's, that's the comfort we have, and, and, and so much more in Christ. The timeless comfort. How else could Paul say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? That in the face of that last enemy, he could see that it's, it's, it's staying on this earth. 
in my service to Christ, or if I die, I gain. That's how he saw his comfort, that it was in Christ, and to go to him was his greatest desire. As we close, I want to read a poem that was written about Isaiah 40 and Lord's Day 1. The poem goes, says this, What is your hope? What drives you? The world responds with a dangerous brew. Our only hope, our only clue are these few. Retirement at early age, a life of prosperity and wage, achievement of goals before death's scowl, reap the benefits of happiness, pleasure, and power. But our hope, it proves in review, to be a loss, a wind, a want, a ruse. For vanity is the world's answer to what drives you. In contrast to this mournful melody upon the rhythm of the world's vain quest for purpose and power, the Christian turns his head to hear a rhythm altogether new and dear. Comfort, comfort my people. Her warfare has ended, her debt repaid. Uneven ground embarking on rough places made plain. The Lord has revealed in answer to that quest for comfort. This truth we say, Christ alone is the way. For what is our only hope? A father's care, a son who bears, a spirit aware. He gives power to the faint and he increases strength. Our hope, our drive is this. Christ Jesus is our only comfort and that alone is our prayer. That's the message of Isaiah 40. That's the message of Lord's Day 1. Be comforted in Christ. He is our only comfort. He's all that we need. Turn to him. Be comforted. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you needing the comfort that comes through your son that you sent. We need you, Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would comfort your people, that you would give to us strength, We don't ask simply that the burden be removed. We do pray for that. But we ask instead that the comfort of our Lord Jesus Christ, if it be your will to cause us to instead endure through a trial, that the comfort of Christ would outweigh anything that is on the other side of that scale. We pray that we would always see your love We would see the message of Isaiah 40 of a God who says to speak comfort and tender care for his people because he loves us, because you love us. Give us that peace. Give us that comfort. May we walk in a renewal of our minds, a strength of faith. We pray this in Christ's name.